With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is a special alert to all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an auto warranty about to expire or with no warranty coverage at all. With summer quickly approaching, CarShield is offering a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that is available to the public to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on future auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs, like AC parts and check engine light mysteries. See why CarShield is voted America's most trusted vehicle protection company and see why our commitment to our customers has landed us an A rating with the Better Business Bureau. We have live reps here to answer all your questions. Drivers who are covered will not have to pay for covered repairs again. This protection plan is at an all-time low. Additionally, drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Visit us for your free quick quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. What do you have to lose? Visit carshield.com audio. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina. Michael, we have a lot to get through, tons of great questions from the Open Floor Globe, but we need to start with uh, I would consider a blindsiding, uh, Michael. I, I did not see this coming when we first formed our union, I would say, what, more than six months ago now, a very strong, compact two-man union we've got going here. I thought everything was uh, above board, Michael. Everything was uh, on the table. Come to find out, I wake up, first thing I see on my uh, my iPhone this morning, it's Michael Pina trying to start a newspaper war by gracing <laughs> the pages of the New York Times. Michael, great. It was great to see your name uh, in print. It was also um, you know, great to see that story. Why don't you give us a little run-through of what you try to cover for the times with this piece, it, it did seem quite timely given that uh, players are reporting this week. Yeah. So, I mean, primarily my, my, my first motivation was to stab you in the back. So no, it landed. I'm, yeah. I'm bleeding through my shirt right now as I'm trying to have this conversation. with you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this story is really, I'll keep the story, the backstory as short as possible, but basically I spent a majority of the regular season before the shutdown, before coronavirus and all that, 
talking to all the guys who played in all 82 games during the 2018-19 season just to kind of see why they do that and how difficult it is because as you know we're in this era of load management where guys take there's intentional rest and and time off and the 82 game season is considered this grind that is terrible for the body and it is so I pitched that story to the Times, and then obviously things kind of deteriorated, and that angle didn't really make too much sense. So we pivoted, and I talked. To, I used some of the reporting from that piece, and combined it with new reporting uh, to talk to some of the guys who who do that, the Ironmen, like the Joe Engels and PJ Tucker and Tobias Harris, guys who really don't take any time off. And just kind of got a feel for how they were dealing with the shutdown and how they would best be able to rediscover new routines down in Florida if slash when the season resumes. I was fascinated by this story. I've always had a lot of respect for the guys who could play all 82. I mean, to me, that's just a nice little badge of honor. It's like getting perfect attendance in high school. I wasn't always that person in high school. I can admit that, Michael. (laughs) Um, But uh, I've always thought that was cool. So I love the hook. Also, I mean, I'm a little offended you didn't interview me because I don't know if you know this, but I have a 251-day consecutive streak of reaching my Apple Watch move goal. It actually dates back the last time I didn't reach that goal, Michael, was uh, the day that, you know, the bleep hit the fan with regard to Daryl Morey in China. And I just found myself getting pulled in too many different directions. I couldn't get away from my computer long enough to uh, get my exercise in. But I'm a huge, huge routines guy who's not afraid to brag about it on a uh, nationally, internationally syndicated podcast. Um So uh, I've always related to these kinds of players, I guess is my point. The guys who are just so locked into what they're trying to do day after day, and now it's all completely uh, subject to upheaval. What were your main takeaways when you're talking to guys like Joe Ingalls? You know, I listened to a podcast from J.J. Reddick recently where he was, you know, lining up different gyms that he could sneak into, trying to keep his, uh, you know, day-to-day life uh, as similar uh, as possible to a typical offseason. He was actually feeling like he had gotten better during the shutdown. When you're interviewing Ingles and some of these other players, what was the sense you were getting about their comfort factor during this particular layoff? Yeah, Ingles is great and hilarious. And, you know, he has the, he's currently the NBA's Iron Man. So he's, he hasn't missed a game since 2016, I believe. And that's just absolutely wild. And, you know, he's really modest about it. He he told me he doesn't care about the streak at all. And he, uh, you know. Michael, they always say that. The Iron (laughs) Men love to say that. We know they care. We know they're watching. Remember A.C. Green, one of the original Uh, Iron Men? Yeah, he was uh, Portland's own A.C. Green. You know, he's mostly known, I think, for his his lack of off-court activities. People can probably Google that. But, um (laughs) that's <laughs> a polite way to put it but he like didn't miss a game for like a decade straight basically it's incredible yeah and you were you know when you were talking earlier real quick about how you admire these guys uh i thought about john stockton who played all 82 like 16 times which i think is the most unbreakable record in professional sports no one will ever come close to that 
It's insane. And the great part is, Michael, when it comes to John Stockton's record, it's not even his most unbreakable record. That would be no. the assist record, right? Yeah. This guy is just in a planet by himself. You're you're uh, preaching to the choir on that one. Um, but no, back to Ingles and, and just turn yeah. how How are these guys adjusting right now? So what was really fascinating about Joe Ingles was that he totally welcomed the change. I mean, at first it was pretty disruptive and it was difficult to adjust. But once he realized that he was able to wake up every day with his kids, spend time with his young twin infants, uh, his son is autistic. Uh, so helping his wife, who was pregnant at the time, or she still is pregnant, um, and just taking care of the family, he loved that. And during an NBA season, obviously, you know, you're in and out, you're traveling constantly, you're catching flights, you're staying in hotels. That aspect of it has been pretty difficult for, for Joe. So he low-key loved it and was just kind of settling in. And now he has to, uh, you know, he said to me that he's not even close to 100% comfortable going to Florida for health reasons, but he doesn't want to let his teammates down. And, you know, trying to strike up a routine down there is going to be pretty difficult for for all the guys that I talk to. No one really knows what to expect. So... You know, there are, you know, I think this is really has been a really tumultuous time for just about everyone in the world. But speaking because this is a basketball podcast about NBA players, it's been tumultuous for all of them. And so I just wanted to kind of see if it was any more tumultuous or any more. Uh, I don't really even know what the word is, just disruptive for guys who are so locked in every day with the same exact rhythm. Yeah, no, it's a great piece. Everybody should go check it out. I actually, I agree with what you're trying to say here at the end. The Orlando part could actually wind up being significantly harder for these kinds of players than with the last three months, right? Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of you know, NBA guys, especially guys who have sort of been in that training mindset or players like a Redick or an Ingles who feel like, look, if I don't maximize every ounce of, of uh, what I've got, I'm not going to be in the NBA anymore because they're not the most athletically gifted, you know, um, physical specimens. They feel like they've got to work kind of every year to keep their spot. Um, and I think that those guys, when they do get this sort of a layoff or they're realizing there's going to be multiple months without games, they start to attack that, right? Now they're putting together a schedule. They're doing A, B, then C. You know, they're trying to make the most of the opportunity. We even see it with a guy like Nikola Jokic, where there's a report that he's dropped something like 40 pounds. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. all during this time off or if it's accumulated over the course of the season. But, I mean, that's an incredible transformation. And so I, I think there's going to be some players who – you know, if they get down to Orlando, they weren't expecting to ever come back and, and they're going to be, you know, feeling out of shape. There's going to be the opportunity for other guys who really maximize their time here um, during the, the shutdown to kind of show off, you know, the, the wares of their work. And I'm kind of uh, interested in seeing, you know, who's in that category. You know, I mentioned Jokic, Michael, and I think that's where we've got to go here because NBA players reported to their home markets, to their teams this week as part of the, the league's phase two of their reopening plan. Now, that just essentially means, hey, show up, you know, tell them you're in or you're out and take a coronavirus test and see what happens. Um, there's been a decent number of players who have tested positive, none more high profile than Jokic. And Michael, I want to ask you a question. It's just been nagging at me uh, all week. Why did everybody get so upset about Rudy Gobert touching those phones, touching those microphones, you know, calling him reckless back in March. 
And you have a player in Nikola Jokic who flew halfway across the globe, is you know videotaped and photographed in public at an event, no mask, uh, no social distancing. You have these other Serbian tennis players uh, who are you know doing the limbo at a bar, you know, with with video and just yucking it up, and then you know come to find out a whole bunch of uh, these athletes all wind up testing positive for the coronavirus. I know uh, Novak Djokovic, the the tennis player, issued a lengthy apology because he was trying to do a tennis tournament in the middle of all of this as well. But doesn't it seem like we should be maybe as critical of Jokic for his lack of mask and lack of social distancing as people were of Rudy Gobert? And maybe even more critical because three months later, we know a lot more about uh, this virus than we did back in March. Yeah, I mean... Anytime I hear about someone contracting coronavirus who you kind of just know was not taking it seriously, I mean, it, it, for me, it's it's a balance of wanting to shame that person with feeling sympathy for them. I mean, you, you don't want to scream, I told you so, at someone after they've contracted a deadly virus. But at the same time, you can't help but look at them sideways for ignoring basic obvious, widely known safety precautions. So Jokic isn't wearing a mask. That's stupid. Like straight up just dumb. And I think that people deserve it's a, criticism. It's a terrible decision. I don't wanna I don't wanna be down on anyone for getting the disease. I hope he fully recovers, you know, just like with anyone else. I do think that there's a role these guys play as public figures and uh, in his case, you know, the face of a franchise where a lot of people are looking to you. And he doesn't really welcome that. He's not on social media. He's not, you know, trying to, you know, go trending all the time. And that's just not who he is. I think he's always been a little bit bashful um, as a leader. But ultimately, he's got to know how popular he is both in Serbia and in the United States. And I think there's an extra obligation if you're in that situation to follow the best practices to be, you know, letting uh, all of your fans and any other viewers, you know, realize like what's the right way to carry and conduct your business. And it's not just Jokic. I mean, we've seen everyone from LeBron James, Ben Simmons, John Morant, um, Trey Young, uh, Buddy Heald. All these guys were in public at, at basketball games at various points or at least in, you know, private gyms playing five on five, you know, without any sort of protection. And I mean, that stuff, it bothers me, man. It makes me a little bit sad as a basketball fan that, uh, you know, the same league that back in March was doing such a nice job of of putting forward those public service announcements. You know, guys like Gobert and Donovan Mitchell stepping up to the plate, Marcus Smart stepping up to the plate, issuing really candid statements about the disease and what you should be doing. It just seems like the league has lost its way a little bit. Um, and to me, that's just, uh, it's unfortunate. I hope all these guys recover. Now, in terms of the timing aspect of this Jokic test, though, I do think it's important to point this out, Michael. The idea of having this phase two basically lasting for this week and next week was so that if guys did report with positive tests, they would still be able to travel with their teams to Orlando, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think that that aspect of it is it makes sense. And I think, you know, a lot of players are going, we're going to see more positive tests come out over the next couple of days. You mentioned Buddy Heald. I believe he tested positive. Jabari Parker, his teammate, tested positive. Right before we started recording, Derek Jones Jr. tested positive. So these guys will be able to travel with their teams most likely. I believe they have to test negative twice before they're able to enter the bubble. Uh, and 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's quote unquote good to test positive now and kind of get that out of the way, I suppose, if you are a player and you are worried about your own personal health going down there. But on the other hand, it's really scary, and we talked about this previously, but it's just really scary considering, you know, all the positive tests that we've seen from these players in the NBA alone, and they're going down to a hotbed right now, the the, the center of the whole world right now in terms of uh, coronavirus cases is, is Florida. And so with the Disney employees going in and out of the bubble and all of the questions that surround that circumstance, it's it, it just it increasingly feels so dire, Ben. It just does. It does. Well, you know, I have a, kind of a dorky, media dorky type question for you, so I'm glad I was able to bring on one of the New York Times' finest, Michael, um, sure. to, to help me with this question. <laughs> How are we feeling about the reporting on the players' individual positive tests? Now, I think up front, there's a clear news value. If a guy test positive uh it could compromise his ability to play in this tournament you know ultimately like sports are about wins and losses who's available you you can gamble on them all that stuff matters at the same time though of course there's medical privacy concerns right i mean if if you tested positive would you want everyone tweeting it out and having that get 10,000 retweets i mean we could probably you know feel a lot of uh, empathy for these players uh, in that situation how do you feel about sort of the blow-by-blow media coverage of these guys' positive tests this week? Do you feel like it's ethical? Is it gross? Does it cross a line? And then I think adding a layer to this, back in March and April, the NBA would announce if a player tested positive, but they wouldn't necessarily put the player's name on it. Um, so in other words, at least we had a sense for how many positive tests there were and without specifically identifying a player. This week, the NBA has not done that. Teams have cited medical privacy and not even confirmed that they had the positive test. It's basically leaving it up to the player if they want to announce it or leaving it up to reporters to kind of scoop that information. What do you make of this entire testing reporting thing from the NBA? This does not seem like a very healthy dynamic to me. What makes me really uncomfortable about it is if I were a player and knowing that what we do not know about COVID and its impact on the lungs, you know, Let's say uh, it is test. It is some reporter tweets out that I've tested positive for for COVID, and I'm a free agent in two or three years or something. And we know that it has had a det- it ha- it has a long term detrimental effect on the body that we do not know right now. And so that could hurt your wallet going forward. I mean, that's just one really small. Uh, potentially insignificant factor here that might not even be real, but it is something that I would be thinking about if I were an NBA player and not wanting everyone and their mother to know that I tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think on this one, I want to stand up for the media because I think that a lot of people will point to the reporters who are tweeting these results out or or writing stories about it, and I've had to write stories about it, and say, hey, look, guys, um, you know, this is unethical for you to be putting it out there. I don't think that's quite true. I think that the NBA deserves the blame here because they're the ones who constructed this thing. First of all, they're the ones who are putting on a tournament during the middle of a pandemic, right? They're the ones who are mandating what days players need to be able to show up and to travel and to enter the bubble and the procedures that those players have to go through to make that happen. 
Uh, because every positive test carries some level of a competitive issue, uh, whether you know guys are going to be avail- available or not, they have to have understood at that moment that it was going to become newsworthy and that um, you know everyone was going to want to fight for that information. There is no possible way for them to protect this completely, and they have to know that. I mean, lots and lots of stuff leaks in the NBA, and they're all aware of that because you know they're the ones ultimately whose information uh, is often being leaked. So all of the responsibility for the grossness of this situation right now falls at the NBA's footsteps. This is their setup. This is how they're doing it. I think that in a better world, they would have kind of batch published, hey, there's 65 positive tests or not that many. You know, there's there's 12 positive tests. Here are the teams that have a player who tested positive. And that would have given everybody an understanding of the kind of the scope and the general um, the general situation out there without singling players out individually. And if there was follow-up reporting about individual players who might, you know, say be stuck overseas for a little bit like Jokic or, or we're going to otherwise miss out on Orlando, then, you know, so be it. But it might have helped take the individual, uh, you know, tagging off each and every single one of these players that we've seen this week. But uh, again, if I'm laying blame here, this is uh, you know this is the media doing what it does, trying to report the truth in a very difficult time, and I think the NBA set this entire framework up, and and they're the ones who bear the responsibility here. No, I think that that is really well said, and I agree with most of it. I I will say that I do think positive tests should be communicated to the public, just because you know you talked about the competitive aspect i think it's also just a health concern and everyone For sure. inside, like yeah imagine if there was like 60 guys who tested positive like shouldn't that change this entire conversation right if like that big of a percentage of people are going to be going down to orlando um i i do think that that's of vital public importance yeah and this says nothing about false negatives and i just think everyone inside the bubble deserves the right to know how bad it is in there and how bad it is on the outside with who is coming in now obviously again like there are procedures in place that players who test positive have to test negative twice before they can enter but i just think generally speaking the 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 thought that so many people are testing positive should be the deterrent in, in in having the competition in the first place. For sure. I'm going to ask you one last question on uh, Jokic and his positive tests and just this testing stuff in general, because it seemed like to me when you're having an MVP level candidate test positive and now he's stuck in Serbia and it's a question of when he's, is he going to be able to get back to Denver and then when can he go on to Orlando and, and the whole thing is already getting a little bit complicated I'm wondering if that brought into just clearer focus some of the worst case scenarios that you and I have been batting around here over the last month or two about like what happens if a key player tests positive during the middle of a series, how do you handle it? And we got a question uh, coming in from Jonathan. He writes, I'm a new listener from Chicago. I started listening to NBA podcasts during the quarantine. I have fallen in love with you guys. Jonathan, thank you so much. I've fallen in love with you too. He goes, here's my scenario. It's two days before the NBA Finals, uh, Bucks versus Lakers. Both Giannis and LeBron test positive. Putting yourself in Adam Silver's shoes, what do you do? Do you postpone the final by two weeks in hopes that the star players return to play? Do you carry on without them? And would this answer change if the players were lesser known? 
Like, for example, what if it was Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Kyle Kuzma, and Danny Green who tested positive? So uh, we've kind of touched at this uh, hypothetical a little bit, Michael. I'm curious, how would you break that one down in his particular situation now that we've seen the Jokic test to kind of give us an example that this, you know, really could happen? Man, first of all, throwing Chris Middleton into that group, just the disrespect for that guy continues. Uh, no, I, well, I actually <laughs> look in his defense, like he was going like the problem is he didn't want to throw Anthony Davis in on the Lakers side because that would be yeah. kind of defeating his point. And then once you get down to like player three, four five, six on the Lakers, it's a little bit of a, a grimier picture than sure. what's going on there in Milwaukee, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a really good question, Jonathan. Thanks for sending it in. I I think, honestly, in this specific example, I think there would be a cover-up. And I, I don't think either team would report the positive test. Oh, boy. Michael, and let me just uh, Michael, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> real quick, though, before you continue, just like when you're speaking into your microphone, try not to move your head around too much because that tinfoil you've got is kind of like rubbing against your <laughs> microphone. It's making this weird cr- uh, crackling noise as I'm listening to you talk. I kid, I kid. Go ahead. No, but I mean, like, it, it sounds really horrible to say this, but when the entire experiment is driven by money, and we both agree that the entire experiment is driven by money, it leads to some cynical conclusions. Like, I just cannot see the finals being played without one of these two players if the Bucks fit square off against the Lakers. It would defeat the, the entire purpose of the bubble. Like, less people would watch. The winner would be smeared by an asterisk large enough to nullify the championship itself. Players, I mean, like, can you imagine proudly wearing a championship ring that you won from this bubble experiment when in the finals either Giannis or LeBron didn't play, like nobody would recognize the winner as the winner, nor should they. So I, I just think like you're defeating the whole purpose of, of what is happening if one of those two guys can't compete because of coronavirus, which adds to the point that this whole thing is dumb and shouldn't happen. Um, I love I love the passion from you, Michael. I agree with all of the logic. I just come to a different conclusion. I think okay. what they would do in this particular situation with the finals is they would delay the finals because if this had happened in the second round it's very tricky to delay because partly you don't know how many times you're going to have to delay if there's future tests right um you have all these other games going on simultaneously and everything else with the finals it's sort of like okay you know you're going to need to play over the course of about 18 days and you want those to be the perfect 18 days does it really matter if those 18 days are late September to mid-October versus mid-October to late October? I mean, I'm sure you have some level of preference one way or the other on not competing for, with football, if football even exists, right? But you you would only need to inconvenience two teams by delaying the finals, and it would absolutely be worth it in the television interest to me to make sure your star players were healthy. So I think what's going to happen is it's going to be kind of like a tough luck forfeit type situation if one of your players tests positive you know, during the first, second, or third round. But if it did come to the finals, everything was building up to this moment, and then the worst-case scenario happened, I think at that point there would be fewer uh, moving pieces that you would need to move to to delay this thing and make sure that they could come off right. And, um, you know, people would scream, oh, you know, you're changing the rules for the stars or whatever else. Like, I think ultimately, like, you could just make the, the stars, good of the game. The stars run the NBA, like, let's be honest. So, right. Yeah, so we're changing like, it, the rules for the stars. Yeah, it's a good of the game argument, right? It's like we're trying to make this a fair playing field and, and, and whatever else. But 
I think this entire hypothetical from Jonathan really helps us point out is how screwed up it will be if a Jokic-level player tests positive at any point before the finals because they're not going to have the flexibility to do much of a delay. That player is going to have to sit out. He's going to get healthy. If I was that player's agent, I would say as soon as you clear isolation, get home, right? I would not want him going back into playing more basketball. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of, of headaches here that uh, you know we certainly need to consider. Uh, just to wrap up this part real real briefly, Florida continues to explode. Um, you know we're now at the point I think over 5,000 daily cases. Um, you know it's even worse than when we talked earlier this week, earlier than we t- when we talked last week. Mm-hmm. I think some pressure is starting to mount from various uh, you know media corners in terms of should the NBA officially cancel. That pressure mounted in your voice about 30 seconds ago, Michael. I, I heard you say that. <laughs> um, so I, I think you're you're not alone in that sentiment. And the NBA still has about two weeks to go before they're going to be sending their players down to Florida. And to me, you know, sometimes if you have that two-week period, it's like, okay, we're buying ourselves time. Like if you're coming back from injury, you're like, oh, I don't have to play for two weeks. Okay, I'm going to be in a much better place in two weeks, right? It's quite possible Florida's in a way worse position two weeks from now. And this this decision could be even more complicated. And you throw on top of that, we're seeing petitions from some Disney World employees saying, hey, don't reopen the park in July. It's not safe for us to work there. How that may or may not complicate the NBA's return remains unclear. But you're just starting to see some uh, mobilization and activation down there in Florida, um, you know, around this health and safety issue. It's no joke. All right, Michael, I want to shift focus here real quick to players who decided to pull out uh, and basically not play. They're getting ahead of all these questions. We saw Los Angeles Lakers uh, guard Avery Bradley pull out for family reasons. We saw uh, Washington Wizards forward Davis Bertans pull out essentially for financial reasons uh, because mm-hmm. uh, you know he's set to make a, a big payday and he didn't want to cost himself any money by getting injured or, or playing poorly for Washington when they've got nothing on the line. And then we also saw Portland Trailblazers forward Trevor Ariza decide to sit out also for family reasons. We got an email, a very passionate email from one of our longtime listeners, Brandon, in L.A., and here's what he said. I don't blame Bertans at all for opting out of going to Orlando. He's about to get paid double or maybe even triple his current salary. Bertans just can't risk it because he will end up being one of the five highest paid players this offseason. If John Wall ain't going out there, then neither should Bertans. However, what Trevor Ariza is doing is ridiculous, but that's what Portland gets for making that stupid trade to begin with. They traded for Ariza specifically for the postseason, and now he won't even be there. Ariza has robbed every team he's been on since he left Houston, but he just royally screwed the Blazers. Kent Bazemore and two second-round picks for Ariza? God, that's horrible. The one bad move Portland has made over the past two seasons might end up truly costing them this playoffs. So... um, Brandon is is not here for Trevor Ariza's uh, you know personal excuse to to be with his son in in the midst of a custody battle. Uh, Michael, uh, thoughts and takes on Bertans Ariza <laughs> uh, or any of the other players in this position? I mean, I guess I'll start with the Ariza situation. I I would not call like I'll uh, I'll respectfully disagree with Brandon here in calling Ariza's rationale for not wanting to go to the bubble ridiculous. Uh, you know. Uh, he wants to spend time court mandated uh, court mandated month with his twelve year old son. So 
it seems to me like he has his priorities in order. I mean, Ariza himself could be sacrificing up to a million dollars or just under $2 million, plus the opportunity to reestablish himself as a pretty decent and serviceable 3 and D wing for one more, I, I won't call it a payday, but more money than he would get as on a veteran minimum, veteran's minimum, which is likely what he would receive otherwise. So it's not like he isn't sacrificing uh, himself, making a, a financial sacrifice himself. Uh, and yeah, that one, that's some tough criticism. And I, I mean, yeah, I will... I, I, let me back you up. I agree. It, we yeah. got to lay off any of these guys who want to sit out for any reason. It doesn't exactly. matter. And I understand that there could be you know, team obligations. And, um, you know, especially if you're on a championship contender, that peer pressure is going to be felt deeply. All those guys are going to say like, this was our year. How many chances do we get at this? That's not Portland this year. You know, if they had just done a 16 team playoff, they're not even invited. So I don't think we need to hold uh, Ariza's feet to the fire and we don't need to blame him for the return package on that trade either. A lot of things have happened since that trade went down um, and that you can't, you know, hold that against him. Uh, Brandon, I, I'm with Michael. I just kind of respectfully disagree on this one. It would be nice if every player was in a position where they felt comfortable to play. But ultimately, like the NBA is not going to be finding or punishing the, these guys for not playing because they realize what a huge and heavy ass this is. Also, I'm not like an es- expert on custody, custody disputes, Michael. Mm-hmm. But I do think like if you don't you know, take the the mandated time that you get with your kids that winds up, you know, potentially influencing future, you know, negotiations or breakdowns from the court in terms of what time you get to see, right? So it's like if if you're skipping out one year, there might not be as much time the next year. And there can be kind of a, you know, a, a trickle down effect, where you know, now you're completely changing your relationship with your kid just to go play basketball in a bubble, um, and putting yourself uh, at risk. I mean, that just does not add up to me. And Frankly, I'm surprised there's not more people using the family reason uh, to not show up. Uh, you know, it, it just seems like it would be a common situation that guys would, would feel themselves, you know, tugged either because of their kids or because of their wives um, or even because of their parents, potentially, you know, depending on their, their health situation mm-hmm. um, to want to put those people ahead of basketball. And I don't blame any of them for doing that. We shouldn't be criticizing any of these guys 100%, whether it's for a health reason, whether it's for you want to protect your family, whether it's for you don't want to be away from your family for this long during such a scary time in our country's history, whether you want to fight civil unrest and racial inequality. Like, we shouldn't be criticizing any of these guys for any of these reasons. And again, like, I I mean, recently we've seen a lot of WNBA players just straight up come out and say that they're not going to go play. They're going to sit out the upcoming season for the Black Lives Matter movement, which I I think is tremendous. And we shouldn't, regardless of your rationale, if you're an NBA player, we shouldn't be criticizing anyone. It's a very personal decision during a very difficult time. And it's not like these guys aren't making a humongous sacrifice to their professional lives by doing it. It's not an easy decision for them to make. Very well said. All right, Michael, on a lighter subject, we've got ourselves an email from Paraguay. I'm so excited. Here it comes. Bruno says, I'm writing. I'm a longtime listener. I'm a longtime emailer, but I've never been read on the pod. Bruno, that changes today, buddy. It's all signs positive. <laughs> he says, some weeks ago, uh, Ben and Michael, you guys were talking about Bill Russell and the finals MVP given by him um, after the, the end of the finals uh, in a normal year. 
It made me wonder why the NBA doesn't have more legends recognized with their individual trophies. So um, I'm inspired by this idea of uh, the finals MVP being named after Bill Russell. And I was thinking we could come up with some other awards that are named after NBA greats. For example, what if they named the MVP award after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Michael Jordan? I'm not sure who they could name the Defensive Player of the Year award because I don't really think Dikembe Mutombo was the greatest player, uh, you know, defensive player of all time, but that one could be open for a debate. The scoring title could be named after Wilt Chamberlain or Carl Malone. If you're the assist leader, why aren't you the John Stockton assist leader or the Magic Johnson assist leader? The rebounding leader could be for Dennis Rodman or Wilt Chamberlain. Um, you know, he says, what about Rookie of the Year? Either Larry Bird or Magic Johnson both had great rookie seasons. For the coach of the year, he was wondering whether we should call it the Phil Jackson Zen Master Coach of the Year. Um, GM of the year could go to Red Auerbach. The list goes on and on. He writes, P.S., Michael, your all-quarantine team sucked, but otherwise you've been a <laughs> you've been a great addition to the podcast. Long live Jason Tatum, eleven-time All-Star. So awesome email all around from Bruno. I mean, he had some really good suggestions for the different awards. I don't know if you wanted to agree and underscore any of his suggestions, if you like his idea, or if you think uh, you had some other nominations and. I also find it funny, Michael, that he's bringing this conversation up in the middle of all of this angst in our society about statues right now, where statues are just being like torn down and defaced left and right. And here's Bruno trying to put up a new wave of more positive basketball statues. I kind of like it. No, great email minus the terrible opinion about my quarantine team, which was expertly constructed. Uh, I Well, here's the, here's the real question about your quarantine okay. team. Um, I do, I do notice, I do notice that you had the exclusive with Joe Ingalls for your New York Times uh, story. Was this a tit for tat? I mean, did you include him on your all quarantine team to, uh, to, uh, you know, get yourself that access, Michael, because that would be a grievous violation of journalism ethics. Yeah, I obviously do not care about journalism (laughs) ethics. That was, (laughs) that was a tit for tat quid pro quo situation okay bruno Uh, so michael's gonna nominate it's the joe ingles mvp award he's gonna put joe ingles as the uh (laughs) no no i kid i kid um what do you think so i have a yeah i have a couple ideas here and uh you know first of all coach of the year uh bruno cites phil jackson as a possibility the award is currently named after red auerbach and for good reason. He is the greatest coach in the history of the NBA. So we are going to keep that as the Red Auerbach trophy. Okay? That's, that's, a, good, that's a good one. And I also yeah. think on um, some of these, and not so much for Phil Jackson, but like, you know, trying to have Rodman be the rebound leader. We that's have to, never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We, we kind of have to keep in mind like the NBA's overall image and marketing, right? Um, it's just a tricky sell to get a corporation that's that large to put kind of a polarizing or controversial figure, even if he's trying to negotiate peace with North Korea and everything else, if you have that long of a kind of like an off court track record, I just don't think you're ever going to qualify for this kind of like official enshrinement. Right. Yeah. Dennis Rodman stick to sports. Um, so for MVP, um, I think this was a really easy decision, and I, I hope you agree with me. I'm, I'm naming it after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
who wow snubbing Michael Jordan on this podcast, Michael? Wow. All right, let me first of all let me finish. Okay, so MVP Kareem won it six times. That's an all-time high. That's more than Michael Jordan, who won it five times. Kareem is, you know. I think when we talk about underrated players, there's a long list of really great all-timers who, you know, Scottie Pippen, Isaiah Thomas, these guys who just, like, don't come up in the conversation enough. And, like, Kareem is the king of underrated because he, you know, all-time leading scorer. Uh, the, the accolades are just ridiculous. The greatest college player ever. Uh, changed the game, changed rules in the game multiple times. And, yeah, he's he's painfully underrated i think historically uh so i, I want to name the mvp award after him it's currently named after the first commissioner in nba history and i think we can just kind of no disrespect but i think we can we can do away with that and, and rename it after kareem well so here's part of the the reason why um mm-hmm. if we don't know that as a society like if that's not a well-known fact that the mvp actually has like you know somebody's name in front of it that means you have the wrong person's name in front of it, right? Um, you don't always have to refer to it as the Bill Russell Finals MVP, but you know if if people realize that it's kind of synonymous with that, then that's a good naming. If it's just some random executive from sixty years ago who you know it seemed like a good idea at the time, we can absolutely update it. And I'm going to shock you here, Michael. I actually agree with you on Kareem over Jordan for MVP. I think that he's got a very important place within the overall history um, of the game. He is number one in terms of the all-time scoring list. I mean, that could change here because of LeBron, you know, in a couple of years. But I don't view him as like this, you know, a major, you know, individual scoring type guy like year by year. You know, we think probably Wilt over Kareem because of the 50-point season, or we think Jordan because he had more scoring titles than Kareem. So I think the way you kind of split this baby is you say, Kareem, you can have the MVP trophy and then Jordan, it's the Michael Jordan scoring title. I kind of like that idea of, of in terms that's, of taking care of, of two yes. of your biggest names, right? No, that's exactly what I have written down here. I mean, first of all, I, I wish well, we then cel- we're, we're definitely right. If you and I are agreeing <laughs> exactly. 100%, like we could just take this straight to Adam. It's just the New York Times and the Washington Post just like, it's like that that photo of the white hand and the black hand just <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> so drew um, Brees, drew Brees's apology tour is is what we're doing right now ex- exactly yes uh so anyway i i think that the scoring title i wish it was celebrated like with a press conference yes. and treated like the mvp and rookie of the year and most improved player i mean what is more important? What is more important, and what is more impressive? Leading the league in scoring or being the best sixth man? Like I, it's really a no-brainer to me. I wish we had an award for it already. It's a great call, and also guys really want it. You know, I think we've learned that over the years too. We've seen some just absolute shenanigans. You know, like David Robinson going for seventy on the last night of the season. You know, various guys jockeying to make sure they get that scoring title. That's one that, um, you know, elite players certainly look as being a major feather in their cap. Uh, You know, it's no coincidence that Jordan wanted to lead the league in scoring every single year. Um, You know, Kobe definitely was trying for that at various points. AI, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. That's where LeBron is the one real outlier here, um, you know, of of being just a sensational scorer, but not ever really gunning for that. 
Um, but I do think we should certainly call that the Michael Jordan scoring title. And real quick, speaking about LeBron, he leads all active players in points per game, which is incredible because, as you said, he's not even known for that. But yeah, I just want to talk about Jordan for two quick seconds. Uh, he won the scoring title 10 times. He won it seven seasons in a row and then three in a row after he came back from playing baseball. And he also has the all-time lead uh, in NBA history in scoring average. So I think naming it after him and then having like a little trophy, maybe like a little replica of the statue that's outside the United Center, I think that would be terrific. Um, and real quick, Ben, if we did do this and the scoring title had its own trophy and its own award, do you think we would change how we view the MVP? Oh, very interesting. So you think that we might not bias it towards just who scores the most because we could have like a yeah. complete all-around award versus just like the most prolific scorer award? Exactly. I think that would be really good for the game, just in an educational standpoint, and award players who do different things as opposed to just scoring and 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 guys who you know we james harden i think is an mvp candidate every year for the right reason but he's also an mvp candidate because he gets buckets and so i wonder if that would hurt him or if it would just kind of shine light on different different skill sets throughout the league well this is making me think do you remember those letterman jackets the nba made years ago that like had little patches for every title that guys won or had patches for every all-star nomination that guys won and there was a certain players just had like patches almost covering the entire jacket because it was just like one after another after <laughs> another now i'm thinking like you could have guys like picture jordan's version right where he's getting scoring title mvp finals mvp all-star and championship all in the same year and he's doing that like you know four or five times I mean, imagine the number of patches he would have on that jacket. He'd probably need a second jacket to even uh, take care of it. Um, that's what I want. I, I think we need to start commissioning Letterman's jackets for all these players and just coming up with as many possible patches for them. At some point, it probably would devalue the you know any individual patch, but I do think it's kind of cool to look at players' career accomplishments like that. Um, on Defensive Player of the Year, he mentioned Matumbo. I'm not totally sold that he's the guy did you have any other possible candidates on that one defense i mean the best defender of all time is bill russell but we already have him for finals mvp so i just think it would be a little uh, like kind of odd and borderline disrespectful to name it after anyone else i mean well here's the thing i mean bill russell they didn't actually have a defensive player of the year award when he was playing and you know, one thing I always talk about in, um, you know, the the annals of American history and, and sports history is the fact that <laughs> Dwight Howard's the only three-time consecutive Defensive Player of the Year winner, and, and you put him next to Russell. That's something that Russell never did. Should this be the Dwight Howard Defensive Player of the Year award, Michael? Man, you stole my thunder. I was going to say Dwight. I swear <laughs> no. to God. Oh, I forgot that you loved Dwight. I was trying to troll you on Bill Russell, and it completely backfired. I actually have a better nomination. I think you're going to like it. Okay. Akeem Olajuwon, man. We got to have Ooh. something named after Akeem Olajuwon. He won it back-to-back years in 93-94. I do think that he gets short shrift a little bit. People put asterisks on his title because Jordan was playing baseball. Um, I think he's a very important figure in terms of, you know, the role of, uh, you know, African players within the league, uh, you know, in terms of kind of being a trailblazer there. 
And he's also just a great guy. If you're talking about it, you can name a, a humanitarian award about him, a sportsmanship award about him. He's another guy who I would love to see just be a regular presence at NBA Finals games because it seems like the, the LeBrons of the world light up when they see him um, just as a kind of a dignitary for the sport. I think he's just about all the right stuff. And if it was the Akeem Olajuwon Defensive Player of the Year award, I think everybody would just nod and be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Nobody would argue that, right? You know, this got me thinking. I, I agree with everything you said about Hakeem. He deserves an honor. I personally don't associate him with defense that much. I mean, I don't think that that, like, when we think about Hakeem, we think about the dream shake, right? We do. So uh, but we, He was also a monster of the steals and blocks, though, Mike. Oh, I mean, this 100%. Was just, he was all an timer. all-around beast. But you're right. Everybody remembers his fancy footwork and the pretty soft touch. But I will say... This might be a little uncouth, but what if we had a best foreign-born player every year and we named it after Akeem? Is that like two uh, or like best international player? Something that isn't offensive at all because that's not what we're going for. But I think that would be a pretty interesting award because there's so many different candidates every single season. I mean, you would have like Joel Embiid and Jokic and... Luca and it would just I think it would spark conversation and be really interesting and it would celebrate the diversity that we have in the NBA no I'm with you I'm just I think the the conversation it would spark would be well why don't we have a best American player and then it's just like (laughs) this is like the depths of society that we have to go to um I mean, would Luca win that award like eight years in a row during his prime? Is that possible? Well, we would have it so you can't win that award and MVP or any of the other major ones. So I think when Luca is like winning like his seventh MVP in a row, then that'll kind of take him out of the running and make it more competitive, hopefully. But yeah, no, I see your point. Yeah, I think we should continue to workshop that one. How did you feel about the John Stockton assist title? Should we name something after Magic? Do we need to get Magic in here for Rookie of the Year? Or what are you thinking? Uh, once I saw John Stockton's name here mentioned, I just put a little bullet point in my my outline. Uh, sit back in your chair for twenty minutes so Ben can talk about John Stockton. But oh boy, you've you've already uh, we already had a little bit of a monologue, so. Um, Michael, no, I, you're, gi- you're giving away all the <laughs> podcasting secrets for free here. Come on now, save this for your book. <laughs> I I love Stockton. I think if we were going to do most assists or like uh, whoever leads the league in assists per game, it, it would have to be after John Stockton. There's really no other candidate. I mean, no disrespect to Magic, no disrespect to Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, any of the other great passers throughout NBA history. It's got to be Stockton. I think so, and I like the idea of magic for rookie of the year because you know you're you're describing well. What do we really remember about Akeem? You know, and it's the phenomenal offensive, uh, you know, the, the gifts and and just the the skill level. I think for so many people, a huge part of the magic narrative is the incredible rookie season, winning the title, Finals MVP, like all coming together, right? It's sort of like a bar that has never been matched since by a player that age. Um, you know, in terms of winning and everything else and just taking the league by storm. And ultimately, like when we talk about the rookie of the year, what we want it to be is sort of crowning who's got the future of the league, right? And what we saw with Magic's rookie season is like, yeah, this guy's about to dominate for a decade. You know, this is about to be the Showtime versus the Celtics. I mean, this is all we're going to talk about for 10 straight years. It's a very important chapter 
of the growth of the league, I think it just kind of all adds up. That is really good. Uh, yeah, Magic in 1980, you know, that game six performance when Kareem couldn't go and he had to play center. I mean, did, tremendous. Uh, so I like that. Uh, I, I guess that, like, is that the best rookie season ever or maybe the most memorable, most important? How would you kind of even stack up rookie seasons compared to that one? I'm trying to think because, like, Blake Griffin had a great rookie year. LeBron had a good rookie year. Well, Zion funny. would have had a great rookie year, but didn't. yeah, it's funny because it it goes back to like, well, the rookie of the year is a a regular season award, right? But what we really remember about Magic's rookie year is just the incredible postseason, mm-hmm. you know, positional versatility, stepping up and and not being afraid of the moment and all that stuff. But if you lump it all together, it's the greatest rookie year ever. I mean, who else yeah. can match all of those accomplishments? So that's that's why I would give it to him there. Um, you know, I remember when Kawhi won finals MVP, it was like the youngest since Magic, right? Um, and again, totally different roles that those two guys were playing uh, for their various teams. And it's just the kind of impossible standard I don't know that we're ever going to see somebody surpass, in part because, you know, with one and done, guys are coming in at 18. It's really hard, I think, in the modern NBA with all these guys just being, you know, just physical specimens throughout, you know, their 30s. And all the access to, you know, weight training and all that kind of stuff for an 18-year-old kid to come in and be finals MVP. It's just impossible to even imagine. I would never even dream of that for Zion. And you know how I feel about Zion. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. 
Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, Michael. Let's close it up with one more follow-up question, okay? And you'll remember last week our buddy Stavros gave what you des- described as a galaxy brain take where he was trying to determine, <laughs> you know, uh, basically which which comes first, the, the star or the championship. And he's trying to say it's a kind of a chicken and the egg, um, self-fulfilling prophecy where, like, we start to call stars stars once they've won. Um, and Usman had a follow-up question. He writes... I have a possible edit to Stavros's stars and championships theory. It's not the stars winning championships that makes them stars, but it's them being on serious title contenders that really elevate them from star to superstar. You can't be a superstar if your team struggles to make the playoffs like Devin Booker. Let me know your guys' thoughts. So, Michael, I brought this up kind of half-handedly during that conversation about, you know, what do we define as a star versus a superstar? Clearly, there are stars who have uh, earned the right to have that tag but never won anything. And then there's also stars who were stars before they won, right? Um, I'm curious, just in your personal usage of this particular word, stars, how many NBA players do you actually refer to as stars? And then how many would you save that label superstars for? And I kind of bring this up because everybody likes to laugh when... Like, for example, let's say Enos Cantor was doing like a book reading, you know, in Boston. They might put together like a little sign that would be like, hey, everybody come to Borders. I'm not sure if Borders is even still around, but everybody come to Borders for the NBA star Enos Cantor and his book reading. And NBA fans are all like, ha, 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 NBA star. Like, he's not really a star. But I feel like that... You know, casual fans are more likely to throw around that word star or people who don't even follow the NBA are just going to use that designation. Whereas I think I'm a little bit more reluctant to use that. I guess, what's your benchmark for star and superstar? Come see Ennis Cantor, NBA defensive Civ would just be unacceptable, but that would be probably the most uh, accurate way to describe him. I think. Well, that- that's the thing. Honesty in advertising. It's a real. <laughs> yeah. That's a real tough one, Michael. A real tough one. So the superstar versus star debate is always fascinating. I, I put together a little list here to try to sort things out for myself, and I don't know if you'll agree or disagree. Um, I kind of have, for superstars, I have seven names. And of those seven names, I have three guys who I can reasonably accept an argument for being the best player in the world. And so for that label, I, I, I don't have like a great name, but I'm just calling those the crown wearers. Uh, and so for superstars, I'll just start there. We have 
Kawhi, LeBron, Giannis, Steph, Harden, KD, who I'm put I'm I'm putting KD on this list because he's just I he's incredible and I have faith that he'll come back from the Achilles. And then number seven, which I think is the most debatable because of past accomplishments, his past accomplishments are kind of bare compared to these other guys, is Anthony Davis. Um, and the crown wearers are LeBron, Kawhi, and Giannis. What do you think about that uh, that label and the, that list right there? Well, we're going in similar places. So first of all, when I think star, I usually think top 25 NBA player. And I usually think you've got to have won something to really be considered a star. If you're an injury replacement all-star like Devin Booker, his example, that's not a star to me, right? Um, you could be a you could be a rising star, you could be a rising star, right? Or uh-huh. you could be a future star. You could even be a face of a franchise or a franchise player. That's not where I do the cutoff for star. I think it's got to be multiple-time all-star or best player on a team that's winning significantly. Or you could just be really, really famous. That's another way to kind of backdoor into that star conversation. Um, I'm not saying Kyle Kuzma is a star by any stretch, right? But, you know, if you're a guy where, like Carmelo Anthony, I would still kind of grant star status to, even though he hasn't. Come on, Ben. No. No, I'm not saying he's a star player now, but I just think you can say like NBA star Carmelo Anthony and not be laughed out of a room. I will laugh you out of the room. If you saw a border sign that said NBA star Carmelo Anthony, it would be more applicable than Ennis Cantor. Am I right? Sure, sure. I'm not going to argue with you there. Uh, okay, I, so that, that's sort of my standard for star. Now, in okay. terms of superstar, I go, I make it much, much stricter. I go like basically a top 10, top 12 type guy. Um, I mean, you, oh. have to be a, you have to be a guy who I really take seriously as like a threat to win the title you know, lead your team to that promised land right now, or you've got to be like one of the very best players at your position. And then what I'm kind of searching for is what you're describing as this new category where I even feel like top 12 is too inclusive for superstars. Like I almost want that another tier. So I'm Mm -hmm. Googling like different types of stars. I mean, are we going to call these guys proto stars are we going to call them giant stars, white dwarf stars? I mean, are we going to, you know, I don't know anything about science. So I don't know what the right label is for those players who you're describing as like, you know, their top three, four players, you know, the crown wearers, as you're calling them, of guys who are kind of in this angling for the best player in the league convo or MVP candidate type convo. Maybe I'm going to call those guys supernovas. Um, I'm like not that. sure. Yeah, it's. I just need something better than superstar because not every superstar is built the same as my point. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that you would even include as many as 12 guys in the superstar discussion. Like of the names that I Can I can I okay, can I let's backtrack. Yeah, give me list. your list and I'll go thumbs up or thumbs down on whether they're a superstar. Okay, so I I already did the superstar list, but let me let me do my stars because these are it's about eighteen nineteen guys, and I want you to tell me if any of them are not stars or if any of them are or if I missed anybody. How does that sound? It sounds like constellation was with Michael Pina. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm starting at the the back of the list, which is I you know as I was putting it together, it's just guys off the top of my head. So these are kind of the stragglers a little bit. Andre but, Drummond, not a star. No, he did not make the list. Um, Devin Booker, who you just no. said was not a star, but no, no. I, I think he has to be a star. Um, Rudy Gobert, 
No. Donovan Mit- <laughs> We're over two. Okay. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's a star. Okay. Kyle Lowry. Uh, yeah, Kyle Lowry's a star. He, you got to say he's a star. Come on. Um, Pascal Siakam. Star. Kyrie Irving. So I would actually, even though I personally don't view him as a superstar, I think because of his fame and his visibility and his presence in our daily lives and his on-court accomplishments as a secondary item, I would consider him a superstar. If you, I mean, everything out of the way in terms of how we view Kyrie, uh, the performance he had in the 2016 finals is kind of mind-numbingly brilliant. And I just think so, if you, wait, if, would you, would you call him a star or a superstar? He's, these are all just stars. These are not the superstars. So I think Kyrie actually bumps up. I would consider him a superstar. Okay. You are insane, but let me continue with my list. Uh, after <laughs> Kyrie, we have, uh, Kemba Walker. Who's that? <laughs> okay. Come just on, kidding. Man. Uh, I don't even consider him a star. Sorry. Oh my God. God. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's he's borderline star. I'll give you borderline star. Um, okay. But okay. look, he's, I mean, he's, he's come on, he's man. Sneaking Kemba Walker in. is really good. <laughs> I I only watch basketball in the second round of the playoffs and on. I've never heard his name before. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> tune in. T- tune in in August. Um, uh, well, look. I guess I would consider him a star, a begrudging star. I'll give you that. Okay. Uh, Joe Ingles. No, I'm just come kidding. on uh, <laughs> quid pro quo baby um <laughs> clay thompson clay thompson is a certified star okay i'm glad you think so um ben simmons he's a star and another controversial take for me he's a budding superstar um if that he can get tra- if he can get traded to his own team and so he can kind of follow the hardened blueprint of like everybody's going to surround and compliment him and he gets to play exactly how he wants. He gets to put up his numbers, potentially average a triple-double um, and just, you know, walk around like he runs the building. Mm-hmm. Very legitimate superstar potential from him. He's not there right now. Embiid is a superstar. Simmons Ooh. is still just a star. So I actually have Embiid in my star category. He's near the top of the list. Like, he just got cut off for me just because of kind of, I don't know, like, we're coming off the playoffs that he had last year, and I was very disappointed in it. And then the regular season that he just had where he was just out of shape the whole time, I just can't give him the superstar status. He Um, should be a supernova, but instead he he falls into the black hole every year, and that's why he is the superstar. But I would say he's more than a star. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna rush through these, but I like how you're giving the quick thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, next up is Trey Young. Oh, Michael, 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 come on! No, nothing. He's still got to earn it. I mean, look, he's a he's a star, but I, he's a star. I, I, he's a star, but it bothers me that he's a star. Okay, he's a star. So you agree? Okay, yes. okay. Carl Anthony Towns. He's a star for sure. Okay, I agree. Uh, Jokic. Um, it's tricky. If he cared at all about the public, he would be a superstar. He's at least a star. In my heart, he's a superstar. It's funny because if if he was a superstar, we would not look at the Denver Nuggets as an also-ran contender. We would think of them as a legitimate contender, but we don't, right? So that's, that's, that's like what keeps him from the actual superstar status for me. 
It's yeah, it's it's a great point. I think that look, if part of it is perception of those LA teams as well. If the Nuggets were the, in the Eastern Conference, I would be hyping up him as like mm-hmm. it's either him or Giannis as the best player in the conference. Those are the teams that have the best chance of going deep. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really impressive at, at points of last year's playoffs. To mm-hmm. me, he's a superstar. I'm calling him a superstar. Forget okay. about it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to like super duper disagree with you. I like it. Uh, next up is Jason Tatum. Um, He's a star. Okay. I'm glad we did not have to fight for 20 minutes about that one. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the part is like the Boston media complex kind of boosts these oh, kind geez. of you know borderline guys <laughs> uh, up into their categories, but I'll give it to him. He's certainly not a superstar like Luca. I'll say that, but he's a Lu- star. Luca is next up on the list here for me. He might be a supernova. Just going to put that out there. Luca's a borderline supernova. He, he will be a supernova. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I Man, can't. he might be right now, though. If you look at yeah. all-star votes and how much success they had this year, his crazy numbers, the, you know, the fact that he does have all of Europe, I'm going supernova for Luca. Okay, it is too soon for that, uh, indisputably, but I respect your opinion nonetheless. Uh, next up is Paul George. Superstar. Superstar, okay. Superstar. I know that might be a little controversial too. People are going to say he's never done it in the playoffs. He's been very, very, very good for a long time. I also think he's got the fame factor. If he was a Laker, there would be no debate. People would just give him the superstar label. Um, and I think, you know, it's like him versus Anthony Davis is a real choice for me. And I don't think anybody's questioning that Anthony Davis is a superstar. I'm giving Paul George superstar status. Okay, only a few more left here. Uh, Jimmy Butler. Star. That's yes, it. Yes, agree. Uh, Brad Beal. Star. No more. Brad Beal is increasingly underrated. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think but you're he's, not going to. He's not a superstar, no. though. No, no, no. He's yeah. not a superstar. He's a star. Uh, Chris Paul. Superstar. Absolutely. Superstar. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I was not expecting to hear you say that. Well, so this goes back to the kind of Carmelo thing. I think you can accrue star points over the course of your career. You also look at like even things like being the head of the players union, being close friends with LeBron. Um, I just think you, you add it all up, you know, has his own shoe for a long time. He just has a very nobody place. Bought. Yeah. In the, yeah, that's true. That's very, very true. Uh, I always liked how they put the little... Um, they're almost like brake pads on the front of his shoe. I don't know if you heard about this. Like, so he could like stop more quickly on a dime. It was like a built-in feature to his shoe. Um, didn't work, but I always no, thought that no. was a pretty impressive feature <laughs> that uh, other people should have uh, co-opted. But I would consider him a superstar still, even though he's okay. not, you know, a top. I wouldn't consider him like a top eight player, you know, in terms of just pure ability right now. But I would consider him a superstar. Okay, so these are my three, the three remaining stars. Uh, Russell Westbrook. Star. Uh, no, actually, take it back. He's a superstar. Kills me to say that, but he is. He is. Okay. Every, he's he's crossed over. He gets to do you know New York Fashion Week. He's a superstar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Joel Embiid. I already kind of laid out my case. I just have him in the star category, not the superstar category. Agree. What about Dame Lillard? So that is the last guy on my list, and he was the last cut from superstar to star. I did not feel super great about it. Well, you shouldn't because you're wrong. He's a superstar. Damian Lillard is a superstar. He's made it. It's been a long, slow slog for him in the small market. He's there. 
you know, he's on he's on TV with Adam Silver representing all the players on the return to sports thing. He's rapping. I know you're a big fan of his raps. Uh, pretty sure you download all his albums. Shout he's out done to interviews. Dan <laughs> yeah, he did an interview recently with one of my favorite writers. Uh, forgetting the guy's name though, he did it for GQ. Uh, mm. Help me out. What was his name? Oh, Michael Pina, <laughs> superstar. He did. Is superstars recognizing superstars? Damian Lillard's a superstar. Okay, uh, I'm gonna. Okay, you you've sold me. I'm gonna bump Dame up into the superstar list. Uh, and then yeah, I ran over the. I'll just read them real quick to you. My superstars: Kawhi, LeBron, Giannis, Steph. James Harden, AD, and Kevin Durant. Do you have any any disagreements with that? No, that list is perfect, uh, for sure. And then if we're doing supernovas, I guess my list would be um, just about all those guys you named, frankly. I mean, it's a pretty deep pack right now of guys who are kind of in that conversation for the best player. Um, you know, some of those guys might be, you know, more in the second or third best. I think I would take Anthony Davis out of the supernova category. Yes. I think I would... Um, you know, I, I would have Harden in there for sure. I would have Curry in there. I would have Durant. I would have LeBron. I would have Kawhi. I think that's my collection of supernovas. Giannis? Giannis, of course. Oh, God, yeah. Well, Giannis is in his own category. I mean, he's God status. Um, but <laughs> I think that's how we're doing it. We're pretty close. So I'm glad we answered this question. I want to thank Stavros for asking it originally, and I, I want to thank mm-hmm. Usman for the really thoughtful follow-up question there. Um, we've now coined a new term. We're going to have to spend the next 12 months hoping that anyone else is going to pick up on Supernova, Michael. Um, we'll see if it uh, if we can make it a thing. It wouldn't be the first time, um, but, you know, we'll see. We're, we're, the, uh, we're the meme guys over here. All right, guys, thank you so much for all the questions this week. You can always email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Michael, what tickled me this week was the people saying first-time emailer. I love it when we hear that the new engagement keeps us going here uh, during the shutdown period, and we are potentially getting closer to basketball, so keep those emails coming. Guys, you can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. You can go to his account right now. I'm sure he's plugging the heck out of that NY Times story. So be sure to give him a click and, and show him support for that. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. On Twitter at Ben Golliver. Michael, until next week. When Florida may be drifting out to sea, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.
Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high-ranking officer in the Secret Service. An Assassin Comes to Town, a six-part podcast. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.